As we get started, let me ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question, something to think about, not necessarily answer out loud. That is, have you ever experienced complete darkness? Have you ever experienced complete darkness? Just to illustrate the, the truth of how the nation of Israel felt uh, in the times of the Old Testament prophets. Wandering, not really having steady place to put their feet on, not being led well by their kings and their, and their rulers, their priests, uh, not understanding what, what might be next, kind of living in this sense of, of unknown and, and fear and anxiety. And I wonder for many of us if we sometimes feel that way in life, especially when we experience the seasons of life that are just a little bit uncertain, right? Uh, if we tend to be people who, who are filled with anxious thoughts, who, who are overwhelmed by the situation, who are not sure where to go or what to do or what might come next. And if you have felt that way at any time, then you can in some way connect yourself to how the, the people of Israel felt. This Sunday, as we inch closer and closer uh, in the Advent season to the arrival of Christ, we're turning to uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This is uh, perhaps a more famous Advent prophecy than some of the other ones we've looked at in this series. But this is what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee among the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness will see a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. They will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on, forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Once again, we see the people of God in the midst of darkness. And when Isaiah speaks this prophecy from God, the reality of darkness that's going on amongst these people is significant. Uh, They're being led by a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz is one of the bad kings of Judah, right? If you're familiar with, with the history of Israel, specifically the, the southern kingdom of Judah, you'll know that it kind of goes through this, 
strange uh, movement of kings from good to bad to good to bad to good to bad. And Ahaz is a really bad king and he's done really bad stuff. In fact, he's led the whole nation into uh, idolatrous worship of foreign gods. He's kind of stripped away the, the moral fabric of the nation and the religious zeal for God of the nation. And, and while he's been king... Uh, the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel is actually turned against Judah uh, in Isaiah chapter 7. And, and they're marching in, in combination with uh, the king from Damascus. And they're coming at uh, the kingdom of Judah. And there's incredible anxiety amongst the people as these nations are marching against them and surrounding them. And famously, it's in the midst of that, and we'll talk about this tomorrow at our Christmas Eve gathering, that the prophet Isaiah gives the prophecy that the virgin will be with child. The sense that the kingdom of God is going to move on even in the midst of this foreign oppression of the people. And though Ahaz refuses God's plea for him to turn to God to help, God still rescues the the kingdom of Judah from these, these warring nations. But Ahaz, rather than turning to God for help, makes what amounts to an unholy alliance with a kingdom known as Assyria. And what he does is he goes into the temple and he strips off the gold and some of the glory and the beauty of the temple and he takes it to Assyria and he uses it to buy Assyria's help in defending the kingdom against these oppressors instead of turning and trusting in God when God had come to him and asked for his trust. And so what happens then is though they've been defended against these, these warring nations, what really has happened is they become a sort of vassal state, a subservient uh, kind of entity to the greater nation of Assyria. Assyria had their thumb on Judah. Whatever Assyria wanted, Judah had to do. Ahaz was sort of a puppet king for Assyria. And everyone in the kingdom knew the time was coming when Assyria would just take the whole thing over. Imagine living in that reality. Just knowing that at any moment your whole national identity was going to come crumbling down. That everything that, 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 that your people, your culture had been built on had been sort of wiped away and it was just imminent, this destruction that was coming. Imagine the darkness of that reality. But God says through the prophet Isaiah, into that darkness there's going to come light. And he, and he kind of flushes it more out. He basically says there's going to be a, a surprising and very complete victory for the nation of Judah. A very surprising victory. He says, did you catch it in here? He said, it'll be a victory like in the days of Midian. Do you know what that means? The days of Midian? Is in Judges chapter 7, it's the judge Gideon, you might remember this, who's not really a very... Very happy to be in the position that he's in. If you remember anything about Gideon, he'd rather someone else be in that job. But God says, no, I want you. You're going you're to lead my people out of oppression against Midian. And so Gideon raises an army of 32,000 men to fight in Midian. And God comes to him and says, listen, it's too many. Too many men for this battle. And Gideon must be thinking, you've got to be crazy, Right? And so God says to Gideon, now catch this, and I'm interested in what your answer might be. We can talk afterwards. 
God says to Gideon, now go talk to the people and say, listen, are you excited to fight this battle? Or would you rather go home? And 22,000 people go home. Uh, I would be amongst them, right? (laughs) That would be me. The 10,000 of them stay. And so Gideon must be thinking, okay, what are we going to do with this? And then God says, "It's, it's still too many. So I want you to take all the men down to the water. He says, and, 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 and those who, who kind of sink down and drink the water while they're on their knees uh, versus those who will <clears throat> cup the water and, and drink it that way, I want you to divide them based on that. And so uh, Judges chapter 7 recounts that there are 300 men who cup the water and drink it out of their hands. <clears throat> Excuse me. And God says... <clears throat> Those 300 men, that's your army, right? So 32, a a guy who didn't want to do it at all, God says, yeah, you. 32,000 men, 22,000 pushed aside, down to 10,000, cut all the way down to 300, and God uses Gideon, an unlikely leader, and a strange band of 300 men to defeat the mighty Midian army in miraculous way. And when Isaiah says it's going to be like in the days of Midian, what he's saying to these people who are surrounded by massive Assyria is that God, when he's on the side of his people, is far greater than the oppressors who are coming against him. And that, friends, is good news for people like us. And there's this weird statement in there. Did you catch it? Like He says, like, your bloody sandals, you're just going to burn those up. They're going to be fuel for the fire. And what that really means is that when, when warring armies would complete a victorious campaign, they would take their sandals and they would burn them, right? It's a symbol of, of celebratory victory in that way. And so what the prophet Isaiah through God is saying is you are going to, yes, have a very surprising but very complete victory over this warring army of Assyria. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, how? How can this happen? And we go all the way to the end of the section that I just read, and it says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. In other words, it's got nothing to do with you. And, oh, by the way, it certainly has nothing to do with King Ahaz, who is like the worst of the worst. But it's God on behalf of his people who is going to rescue them. It's God who's going to show up. It's like a band of 300 men fighting against a massive army. It's God who's going to deliver his people. And how is he going to do it? For unto you a child will be born. A son will be given. That's not two different ways of saying the same thing. It's two of the exact same ways of saying the same thing. Because God is pointing to something that seems very innocent and very improbable and saying it's that that is going to deliver you. Then he says about this son that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal or Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Fascinating four ways of speaking about this son. A wonderful counselor, whereas Ahaz had been foolish and unwise in everything he did and how he led the people. Whereas he had turned away from the counsel of God and sought the investment of foreign people. This son will be a wonderful counselor. He'll be filled with wisdom. 
He will be someone whose advice you can not only take, but whose advice will lead you to truth. Someone deeply connected to the reality of God. A wonderful counselor. And he'll be mighty God, whereas Ahaz would not depend upon the power of God and instead depended upon the alliances that he could build in his own human effort and set himself up really for dramatic and drastic failure. This son would be a warrior of God. He would be someone deeply connected to the power of God because of his connection to God himself. Whereas Ahaz was eternally compromising himself, this man would be strong as opposed to weak. Mighty God. An everlasting father. The great job of the king was to lead the people, to care for them. It's why God, when he chose kings, picked a shepherd. Remember David, the shepherd? Someone who would care for them. The great shepherd king and Ahaz could not care less about the well-being of the people. He cared about the sustenance of his own rule and his own glory. And so he made any alliance, sold anything, made any compromise he could to hold on to power. Do you see it? But this one, this son, is an everlasting father. Someone who will come with compassion and care. Someone who will truly care for the well-being of the people. Who will shepherd them in the right way. He's an everlasting father. And a prince of peace, that's right, a coming king, a son of the king who will bring about peace. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you've heard me say, and I'll repeat again, that this word peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It it doesn't just mean that Assyria is no longer going to be ready to fight them in battle. It actually means that everything in the kingdom will be as God intended it to be. All relationships will be right. All systems will be in order. There won't be oppression against. The people will be in worship of God. They'll be experiencing the fullness of life that God intended them to bring. Whereas Ahaz had brought panic and anxiety and chaos and brokenness everywhere, this son, this prince, would usher in a season of shalom. You know what happened? Ahaz had a son. His name was Hezekiah. You know about Hezekiah? Hezekiah was what we would call a good king. Hezekiah, as he took the reins of power after Ahaz's demise, ushered in all kinds of glorious reforms for the kingdom. He removed the, the temples and, and the, the worship sites and the altars to foreign God, Assyrian gods that Ahaz had brought in. He restored the, the temple worship that had been forgotten by Ahaz. He brought the people back into relationship with God. And when the Assyrians did invade, as the people knew they would, Ahaz, or excuse me, Hezekiah stood strong. And whereas in Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz, when God asked him for, to, to, excuse me, God said to Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, ask me for a sign and I'll give you one. And Ahaz in his false religiosity said, I would never test the Lord. Meanwhile, he's going to all these Assyrian gods for help. In the midst of the Assyrian assault, what does Hezekiah do? 
He asks God for a sign. And he sees the sign and he stands strong even when the Assyrian armies are mocking him and laying siege to him. And God shows up in a Midian-like way and draws the Assyrian army back without ever even a battle. And his people are preserved. Don't you see it? Hezekiah is the prince of peace that surprisingly rises out of the mess of a royal kingdom led by a corrupt king named Ahaz. He's the father the people needed to shepherd them as their true shepherd king. He was mighty and stood with God in the midst of struggle. And he listened to the counsel of God instead of looking elsewhere. But there's a problem with this. And that's that Hezekiah's life comes to an end too. And the strange cycle of kings of Judah and Israel continues. And Hezekiah is followed by a bad king. And it ultimately leads to not Assyrian victory, but Babylonian victory over Judah and a long-lasting exile so that the people of Israel are saying, when will God give us the everlasting kingdom that we sort of tasted with Hezekiah? And they longed for this reality. And then don't you see when the angel shows up to Mary... It says, unto you a son is born. And when the angel shows up to Joseph and says, don't put your wife away, for unto you a child is given. And he says to Mary, the, the nations, he will rule his people with justice. That into the mess of our world... In a a radically surprising way, our hope is turned to a child. Born in Bethlehem, like any royal king should be. But he sure doesn't look like a king. And as our hearts turn to Jesus, we begin to see the hope of the kind of life that God longs for His people to have. I wonder this morning, friends, do you have that kind of life? Do you have a strong connection to wisdom and truth in your life? Do you have a sense of being shepherded of being led and loved and cared for? Do you have a sense of being near to someone who's strong even in the worst of times? Do you have any sense of peace in your life? Not that the kids aren't fighting. Not that the marriage strife is alleviated, but this sense of wholeness. That everything is as it's supposed to be. Friends, when we read Isaiah chapter 9, I think what we're intending to read this morning is to understand that we live in an Ahaz-like kingdom. 
And that we ourselves, as we are kings and queens of our own lives, tend to be Ahaz-like kings and queens of our own lives, don't we? We tend to be people who are more interested in holding on to power than we are in committing to God. We tend to be people who are easy to compromise or who are so clouded by a million voices that we don't know which one to hold on to. And therefore our lives lack the kind of wholeness and peace that we need. And our world, led by what uh, the writers of the New Testament would call the prince of this world, Satan himself, uh, the forces of evil, I'm not talking about the systems of our world, but into the sense of the forces of evil in our world, that vies for our affection as his people, and yet God says, this is not how my world is supposed to be. And so this morning, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for peace, if the walls of your life feel like they are caving in on you closer and closer, as if an Assyrian army nearing and nearing and nearing the capital of your life, this morning you need Advent. You need the hope of a son, the hope of a child. In Colossians chapter 2, this is what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus. He says, He is the very source of all wisdom. He's a wonderful counselor. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, He is the embodiment of the power of God. He is a mighty God. In John chapter 10, Jesus himself spoke about himself saying, I am the great shepherd. I know and love and care for my people. He is our eternal father. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this about our hope for peace. He says, he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace. It's as simple as this, friends. Where do you look for hope? Do you look inside yourself? Do you look around you on this earth? Are you looking to the next election for hope? Are you looking to another religious engagement for hope? Are you looking to your own effort for hope? In all these ways, we are prone to the same folly as King Ahaz. And yet, God in His grace and love comes for people like us. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossae, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9, this is what Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Listen to this. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Wonderful Counselor. Verse 10, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, 
power according to his glorious might, mighty God. So that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to your Father, eternal Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, real peace. Where? In the kingdom of light. For those who walk in darkness, there is light. For those who are clouded by all kinds of voices, there is wisdom. For those who find themselves weak, maybe even weak as the Apostle Paul said of himself in Romans chapter 7, the very things I want to do, I don't even do those things. And the things I know I don't want to do, that's exactly what I find myself doing. Right? You're about to go be with family members, and maybe one of them, they kind of get on your nerves. And so right now, you're plotting how you will handle this well. And yet, if they say the right thing, you're going to say the wrong thing. Right? We're weak. To those who are alienated from God because they've wandered. To those who are experiencing the depth of brokenness that this world offers. This morning, the prophet Isaiah resoundingly announces that a child has been born and a son has been given. And the government will sit upon his shoulders. This kingdom that God offers, therefore, is not dependent on anyone except Jesus. Do you see it? And therefore, the zeal of the Lord has accomplished exactly what Isaiah said it would. That light has broken into the darkness. And though we experience it already, we will experience it in its fullness when he comes again. If you need hope, God says hope in me. If you need light, God says this is the kingdom of light. If you are broken, God says he himself is our peace. If you are lost, Jesus said, I'll set aside the 99 to go find the one. This is the gospel. Can I pray with you? God, thank you for glimpses now and in Scripture of the kingdom of light breaking in. Thank you for Abraham and Moses and Joshua. Thank you for David and Hezekiah and men like that that give us little tastes that whet our appetite, that make us desire and know that it's possible. And then thank you, God, that in your infinite wisdom you knew that this kingdom could never rest on human shoulders. And so, Jesus, you willingly set aside equality with God and you lowered yourself not only into humanity, but into the form of a servant. And you were obedient, not just in your advent, 
but in the full journey to the cross of Calvary. So that by the blood that was shed on the cross, you could take symbolically your war-dirtied sandals and burn them as fuel on the fire, announcing a great victory in your resurrection. That this kingdom of light is breaking in and is here and is coming and is full of peace and hope and justice and righteousness. God, for myself and for all my friends here and those who will listen later, might we be drawn to our only hope and might we taste the life that you long to give us. We pray it in your holy name. Amen.